Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. What is the, what is the main? Our goal is to serve God, but our means of serving God is how in that verse? By having grace. Now, I received grace from God, but boy, I need to have grace with who? With everyone that I deal with. I need to have grace with myself. I need to have grace because it's in that just kindness in the face of attack, that, that gentleness in the face of, of anger. It's when we have grace, we can serve God acceptably. Galatians chapter 5 now. Galatians back to the left, chapter 5. Galatians 5 and verse 13. Speaking to Christians, it says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. We've been called out of our darkness, out of our bondage. Whatever sin, and, and everybody's got different sins that they're in bondage to, we've been called out of it unto freedom, unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. You don't, you don't have this liberty so that you can just live for yourself. But our liberty was given to us that by love we would what? Serve one another. Of all the things, and I've said this every week, that Jesus taught, the greatest was how to serve others. The Apostle Paul, in this chapter of Romans, chapter 12 that we've been going through, is pleading with us and begs us to lower ourselves to the life of a servant to become just like Jesus was. And by the way, even though Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Savior, He is God with us, He became a servant. He became a servant of all. And really, it is only there that you will discover seven of the most priceless gifts after you got saved, obviously the gift of God is eternal life. That's the greatest gift we could ever receive. But we would discover at the place of service seven of the most priceless gifts that, that make your life richer than any king has ever dreamed. And it's only in that lowest place, when everybody else is trying to be at the top, a Christian at the bottom has joy. The person at the top is aggravated, stressed out, always wanting more, whereas the Christian at the bottom has something that only the Spirit of God gives them, and that's joy. So we're going to start here. And uh, let me get rid of that little thing there. And uh, give you some background before we pray. I gave you seven truths about serving. And I brought the service gifts of God. But this is six more here. Number one, we're all servants to someone or something. We are serving. We are doing things maybe for an employer. Maybe we're doing them for our children. Maybe we're doing things for the for the benefit of a sports team or a club somewhere. There are many people in this room who are serving a bank debt or you're, you're paying off a credit card debt. You're serving. We usually serve ourselves mainly. We spend untold hours in front of the TV serving the advertisers. Believe me, there are people who spend zillions of hours on PlayStations and smartphones, but rarely are we serving God? We are usually busy serving someone or something. Rarely are we serving God. Secondly, we are all gifted to serve. We are enabled to do something more than just live and die. We were saved 
to serve. We were gifted to do something that pleases God and, and accomplishes His will. And so we've been, in Romans chapter 12, we've looked at those seven gifts. We're working our way through. We've got four more to finish. They're not the most powerful gifts. They're not the most popular gifts. But they certainly are painful gifts to work for and to use. And they make us more and more like Jesus every time we use them. And you know what? I believe with all my heart, according to the Bible and according to history, the greatest effect on nations has come from those at the bottom, not at the top. The ones who take over from the top usually destroy. Those who bring change from the bottom make lasting change and actually are always for good. So I work at the bottom. Christ came in and stepped down to deal with the common people. He didn't approach and try to change the Roman government. He changed those who were under oppression by the Roman government. We change the world from the bottom up. Number three, the greatest need in this room and in society, in our homes, is for Christians to start serving, to start making the life of someone else better, even if yours isn't. By the way, if you serve, you will always lose. You will always, it will always cost you something to do something for someone else. That's, that's the sacrifice of it. But our homes need servants. We need people who look for opportunities to carry problems and not leave it for someone else. You can see somebody and they're constantly, constantly, constantly doing the same thing and you're sitting on your Todd watching some stupid television program. You've never helped wash the dishes. You've never hoovered. You've never done anything except sit there like a normal 21st century person when a servant gets up and serves. You look for those opportunities. You sacrifice your time and attention to make other people happy. I have watched it in our generation, my generation, has, has gone through a horrible transformation that has affected now another, if not two more generations. That is to the point where now everybody is hypercritical. They are fault finders. Homes are filled with arguments and battles over who's going to be in charge, who's going to be the leader, instead of just everyone serving one another. Churches are split over leadership and instead of over servanthood. Too many Christians hold back and are hesitant to just get up and serve others, even if it it's, doesn't, doesn't make a benefit for them. And Christians walk away from serving, doing the least amount of effort possible, focusing more only on themselves instead of others. And I find that Christians and people today are more miserable than ever. You know, if only all Christians started serving, whew, if we just serve, the devil has no place. In a, in, a, in a realm of people who serve, there's no pride. And guess what the devil requires for him to have an open door in a church? Pride. So if we just serve, the devil is not welcome. The local church is where serving is put to work. We're supposed to learn about serving first at home. Your mom, your dad were supposed to make you into a servant. They were supposed to develop you into somebody 
who saw a need to be done. And when dad asked or when mom said this needs to be done, you did it. You didn't argue, you didn't complain. You learned to obey your parents. You set the table. You did the dishes. You mowed the grass. You obeyed your parents. Did I say that already? (laughs) You cleaned up messes. You became a blessing to neighbors. You prayed for one another. Your parents were supposed to teach you and mold you into a servant of society. I'm afraid a lot of parents failed there. But our serving is not limited to our families. God saved us to serve more than just mom and dad and brother and sister. He saved us to serve the brethren. So what's the big deal about a church? You know what a church is? A church is filled with people who are different. Amen? You see, you grow up with brothers and sisters, you kind of rub off each other. Yeah, you're a little bit different, but all of a sudden you come into a church and wow, they're different. (laughs) And the Bible says you've got to love them. You have to humble yourself. And Jesus, even the Lord of heaven, washed the feet of Judas. And we won't do that. The church is the place that we learn to serve. We have different cultures, different backgrounds, different needs, and different problems. And so all of a sudden, you have to just bite your tongue. You have to just ignore all of your cultural inhibitions and serve. And serve out of love. Christ expects every one of us to serve. It's part of his kingdom. You know, Christ's kingdom is filled with children. And it's filled with servants. Except you become as little children, you'll not enter into the kingdom. And as children, you serve. Every believer serving every other believer. Every Christian loving all other Christians. That doesn't mean you have to trust them all. <laughs> you know the difference between, you know, we get this thing where, well, I don't know if I, so-and-so's, they've hurt me. or so. You may not be able to trust them, but you can love them. And you can sacrifice your wants and your times to be a blessing even to your enemy. You can do it. Benefiting somebody else, not for you, not even really for them, but for the kingdom of God. Romans 12, 11 says, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. He expects us to serve in his kingdom. So don't let Satan rob, you of you, rob God of your service. Satan keeps us so busy doing so many things, and that's the danger of Christmas, folks. I, every year I watch it, it, it we, we get so guilt-driven about we've got to do this, we've got to buy that, we've got to have this, I've got to work these extra hours. And, and, and so we're, all of our time is soaked up when God saved us to serve one another, not serve the economy, not serve the kingdoms of this world. Satan keeps us so busy doing so many things so that you're not able to serve the God who saved you. Listen to John 10, 10. The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So what is the devil always trying to do in your life? Rob. when, When he, when you should be in church serving brethren, when you should be out soul winning, serving the, the, the community with the truth. When you should be doing something in the kingdom of God, the devil will come along and rob God of your service. I don't like that. I don't like the devil having anything on God. Now, why should you worry about this? Why worry about discovering your gift? Number one, because there are rewards. Amen. There are rewards for using your gift. Go to Revelation 22. Revelation 22. 
Revelation chapter 22. How many of you believe Jesus is coming again? I, believe, I hope it's soon. Revelation 22, verse 12. Jesus says this. Revelation 22, 12. Last page of the last book of the Bible. Revelation 22, 12. Behold, Jesus says, I come quickly. And when he comes, it's that fast. And my, what's the next word? Reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. You just come to church. You just sit there. You do a little bit of time. You're not working. If you went to your office, if you went to your employment, if you, and you just sat there and did nothing, would your boss want to pay you? Let me just tell you, you think that just by coming to church and endured my preaching that that was work. That's not work. This is us, our training ground, and then as soon as you get up and you meet another Christian, you head out these doors, that's when you're supposed to be working. And Jesus says, when I come back, I've got a reward for those based on their work as a Christian. Galatians 6, 9, you don't have to go there, but it says, let us not be weary in well-doing. Don't get tired of doing right. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially to them who are of the household of faith, especially focusing on the brethren. There are rewards for doing, for using your gift. But secondly, this ought to scare you, you can lose your gift. You can lose your reward, sorry. Second John, go back a few pages to Second John chapter 1, only one chapter in it. You got the little Johns. Just before Revelation, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. 2 John, verse 8 says this. Look to yourselves. That means you take inventory. You examine yourself. Look to yourselves. That we lose not those things which we have wrought, done, but that we receive a full reward. So I want to tell you this, and I hope to scare you a little bit that you can lose whatever reward, you're, uh, and you've been faithful all week, maybe handing out tracts, maybe you just kept your mouth shut when you wanted to give out to somebody else. You're just doing things for the kingdom of God. You made sure you're coming to church, and you're helping set up, and you're be here helping take it down. But if you, if you seek the praise of the pastor for doing that, if you only pick up and set out hymnals because pastor comes along and says, thank you, you've lost your reward because you got it for me now. Did you know, if you are sacrificially trying to be a blessing at home and people are taking advantage of you, you're trying to be a help at work and just being a Christian, everybody else just mocks you and you keep your mouth shut, you keep a right spirit, but then as soon as you get home and you complain about it, you've lost your reward. When we get to heaven, the Lord will show you all the things you did and he says, but you blew it there and you blew it here and you blew it there and you blew it there. Be careful, you don't lose your rewards. It is serious what we do with our lives. That's why it's important to learn the attitude of a servant. <clears throat> now, I gave you last week a summary of the gifts of Romans. If you'll go to Romans chapter 12, let's read that. Romans chapter 12 and verse 6. Romans 12 and verse 6 says this. Having then gifts differing from one another, differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, which is different than a prophet, don't worry about being a prophet, but the gift of prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. 
Or if you've got the gift of ministry, let us wait. That wait means there, be anticipating like a waiter to serve. Let us, let us wait, be ready on our ministering. Or he that teacheth, be ready to teach. Verse 8, or he that exhorteth, focus on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy, doeth with what? Cheerfulness. So each one of these things are very simple. A prophecy speaks up for God. In the Old Testament, it's filled with prophets who had the gift of prophecy. The, the, the congregation, not just the congregation, but the people all around were, were going, doing their own things. Uh, every, man, uh, every man did that which was right in their own eyes, and the prophet set up and says, that's wrong. This is the way. This is the right thing to do. This is the will of God. And they would say what God wanted said, and they would see where God wanted them to go. That was the gift of prophecy, and it still is here today. We need to look and, and find people who have the gift, who will have vision, who will see that, you know what? I, I don't want to just make money. I don't want to just um, uh, have all the things of this world. I want to see what God wants. I want to have a vision of where God wants not only me, but my family, where he wants court. Um, uh, I do not want Ireland to be the, the hub of sin like Varadkar wants it to be. I want Ireland to one day soon again be a place where saints and scholars are found who love God and preach the Bible and win souls and turn nations to God. The Irish could do that if they wanted to. We need people who have a vision. Ministries and helps, those are, that's, that holds us together. That lifts up uh, brethren. That carries burdens. That does the things that nobody else wants to do. They are the backs and the shoulders and the hands of a church. Those who teach, they teach. They instruct people in the ways of God. And it's not always easy to understand, is it? I mean, you come to the Bible and some of the stuff's just over the head all the time. And it's nice when you have someone guide you, like the Ethiopian eunuch is asked by Philip, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch said, no. <laughs> How can I except some men guide me? Philip got up in there next to him and says, let me show you Jesus. It's nice to have some people who just have the gift of teaching because they are the patient mouth who are full of truth, not full of criticism, not full of, of all of the, uh, the, the world's... Everybody's got quips and quotes. I want to learn the Word of God. Exhorters, they encourage, they, they urge on, they keep people going. They're like lungs and adrenaline. They just, they're just an excitement in a church. Those who have the gift of giving, they meet the needs practically, uh, literally, physically, with money and with talent and time. They meet the needs of others, and they have pockets, sometimes shallow, sometimes deep. They're just people whom God is gifted with the ability to just give and give and never worry about it. And then there's the gift of showing mercy, where you just have compassion. I mean, somebody may have hurt you, somebody else. They may be so full of sin and rebellion and, and uh, uh, anger against God. And then when the, the person who has the gift of mercy, when they see them and they're hurting, they go over to them and love them anyway. Because they have a heart. Notice all the aspects of a body heart. Oh, I forgot the rulers, the, the governors, the gift of ruling, and those who manage things. They plan, they schedule, they, they produce spreadsheets. They, 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 they're the heads and the brains of a church. And you need people like that. 
If you don't have that, we kind of just flitter from event to event, and it always has problems. It's nice to have people who think through all the details, but a church is supposed to have a heart, a head, pockets, lungs, and adrenaline, mouths, backs, and shoulders, and hands, and eyes. That's describing a body, which is what the church is, a body of believers who are like Jesus Christ. Now, last week, we talked about the gift of prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14, 3 says, But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men unto edification and exhortation and comfort. They have a purpose. They, they, with the preaching of the Word of God, they edify, they encourage, but they also push and say, this is what we need to do. And they comfort. Gift of ministry is just, just people who are like a waiter, just waiting. What else can I do, Pastor? What else do we need to do? And they don't just wait for the pastor on. They look and they see what needs to be done and they act on it. And the third one is the gift of teaching, which I've already mentioned. That's just, they explain Bible truths. They carefully instruct people in godly living. They don't just expect somebody to do it. I remember, you know, I've, got, I've had five kids growing up and the first kid was easy. Her name was Sharon. She's now got three of her own kids. But Sharon, when she was two years old, if she dumped stuff on the floor and was playing with Legos or whatever, and I said, oh, we got to clean this up, somebody's coming over, it was nothing for her to go, okay, Daddy, boom, 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 back in the box, and I said, this is easy being a parent. <laughs> well, the next one came along. His name was Joel. Joel would climb up the, uh, the bookshelves to get the thing at the top, not... <laughs> living in danger, and then dump them all over the floor. And I would come in and say, come on, Joel, we got to clean this up. Somebody's coming over. And he'd look at me going, what? And I said, clean up. What? I said, Joel, Joel, watch. <laughs> and you'd have to put stuff in the box, and you go, <laughs> and I said, you clean. He said, no, you do it. <laughs> he had to be taught. He had to be explained. He had to be shown over and over and over. Guys are like that, amen? All right. But it's nice. Listen, not all of us just get it. We need somebody to teach us how to live the Christian life. I like, and that's why we invest in teaching in this church. Let me talk about the remaining four gifts. There are four of them, exhorting, giving, ruling, and having mercy. Folks, you cannot find better gifts than these. Gifts of money, it rusts. Wealth fades. Um, uh, you run out. Um, gifts of health, that changes. These gifts are priceless that God gives us. So let's talk first now about exhorting. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, and when you found that, I'm going to pray. Hebrews chapter 3. And then let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you now to bless the preaching of your word. Help it to be not only understood, but mm, help it bear fruit. Help it act, be activated by faith by every believer in this room. That we get tired of just being a Sunday morning only Christian. And only a Sunday morning city Christian but if there are saved people in this room, if anybody in this room is truly born again, I pray that they would, with all their heart, determine today to serve. And to serve through 
acts towards others serve you because you're worthy. You are so worthy. And we need not wait another day. We can, we can know our gift and we can use it. I pray that we would. Lord, the greatest gift ever given was Jesus. We're coming up to Christmas. It's all about gifts. But you've already given these. I pray that we would open them, learn about them, and use them in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13. Gift of exhortation. Look at what verse 13. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. So to exhort is to actually come alongside. I need somebody here. Let's see. Come up here if I can use you. Uh, Brendan, can I bother you for a second? Brendan, you're, you're my man. All right? Now, why don't you pretend like you're running? Just in place. Will you run? All right. Now. An exhorter says, come on, you can go faster. Do it faster. Come on. Faster. Come on, you can do it. Come on, can you, go a little bit faster. Come on, let me help you. Woo-hoo-hoo. Come on, come on, come on. Now, what am I doing? I'm exhorting him. I'm getting him to go further than he feels comfortable. When I ask him to start running, he's like this, you know. But an exhorter comes along and says, go, you can do it. They believe in God's will for that person. They believe in God's abilities. Not that they have abilities. Most of the time we expect that, oh, pastor, you call upon so-and-so because they can do such and such. Let me tell you, that's not how the kingdom of God works. Because those who can do it usually are already busy doing it for someone else instead of God. Think about that for a minute. So the ones that we're left with are the ones that God has enabled, and they don't even know they're enabled. And so an exhorter comes along and says, I believe you can do it. I believe you're the right person you say, well, I'm not that good. You don't have to be good. You just need to be used by God. Thank you. You may be seated. An exhorter, go to Hebrews 10, 25. By the way, you know what exhorters help with? I, the last part of that verse says, you need, you need to exhort each other today. Not wait till next week or next year. You need, parents, you need to exhort your children now to read their Bible. You need to exhort your children now to put Jesus Christ first. Because if you're going to wait till they're 16, 17, 18, you've lost them. Amen. You exhort them now because the last part of that verse says, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 10.25. Hebrews 10.25 says this. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. When does that happen? When we have church. Not forsaking, not putting it off, as the manner of some is. Even in Paul's day, there were people who were saying, yeah, I don't need church. But what should we be doing? What does it say? But exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day of the return of Christ approaching. Gift of exhortation. This is my favorite gifting in people. If there's any type of person I wish this church was full of, I wish it was full of exhorters. I wish it was full of people who just believe God, who just want to be the adrenaline in a church, who just want to encourage uh, everyone, who, who don't mind um, uh, the fact that we have no money. They don't mind that they don't have a, uh, the, the best preacher or they have the best singing. They just want to serve God. They just want to keep everybody serving God. That's what I want. I wish church was filled with. I can't choose who's gifted. 
But I know a, a, a church is best when it's full of encouragers. So, the gift of exhortation means to encourage thoroughly. To help people get up and keep going. It is a special ability God gives to certain members of a church to minister. Um, can I ask, uh, Dean, if you would drop that? Because this is very uh, bright on my... Right side of my eye. Just drop that that um, shade there. Thank you. It's it's the special ability God gives to certain members of a church to minister words of encouragement, to comfort and counsel other members of the body, so they're helped in their ministry. They they are spiritually healed. They motivate. They influence believers through wise words and actions. You ever discouraged anybody? <laughs> you know they've done these tests. You're sitting, you can do it in your office. Don't, you can do it at school. Don't do it. But all you have to do is go up to somebody and say you saw Marianne. You said, Marianne, you don't look so well. Marianne says, I feel fine. Says, okay, I just want to let you know. And then somebody else comes along and says to Marianne, Marianne, are you okay? Marianne says, you're the second person who said that. Yeah, I feel fine. After about four or five people coming along, she starts to feel bad. She starts saying, I don't feel so good. <laughs> Your words can affect others, can't they? And an encourager, an exhorter comes along and he's careful with his or her words. And they use their words to encourage and say something that just blesses them and just says, man, you're the best looking guy I've seen yet. Man, it's a pleasure being, a, being, being in a church with the likes of you. You go, what, what do you want, you know? It's something that just makes people feel special. It's to encourage and embolden, to cheer, to excite. Wouldn't it be nice when you got to church and just, you, you, you met uh, our dynamic duo, you know, Heidi and Ruth, and they just excited you and said, Woo, today's the Lord's day. And you just bless people who came in. And I, that's why we have a, a welcome ministry, so that you feel like I'm wanted here. Exhorters rally behind people that others have given up on. They urge them to get back running. And then I found that real exhorters run along with them so they finish. These are the spiritual coaches who help other people stay encouraged. They don't mind being examples as flawed as they are. They just want to be an example to Christians and other Christians new or discouraged that God is still on his throne. The Romans 8.28 still is true. You know, people don't grow spiritually, naturally. We all need to be encouraged, pastor included. We need to be counseled. We need to be taught. We need to be pushed a little in our walks. So when you come to church and I'm pushing you a little bit, I'm exhorting you. I'm trying to keep you going. I'm trying to keep you on the straight and narrow. I'm trying to keep your eyes on Jesus. That is a push that you need to put up with because I mean it for good. Amen? But there are some of you who have a very good gift of just being an encourager. It's kind of like, how many of you know what this is? It's square, but it's called a what? A boxing ring. I've always wondered about that, Scott. Do you understand that? <laughs> a boxing... Anyway, I don't know. Do you know there is... Somebody there that is more important than everyone else. You know who it is? They're found in the corner. They're this guy. <laughs> He's the coach. 
and his, his boxer is out there getting just beat to death. And what is the coach going, saying? Stay standing! <laughs> Go for the left! That's all right, sorry. Go for the left! Don't fall! Move back! Move in! What's that guy doing? He's exhorting. And a church needs those kind of people. So don't be ashamed that you feel compelled. Don't be embarrassed that you may not be the preacher. You may not have the greatest. But if you have the ability to encourage other people, you can keep people in the ring and keep people on the straight and narrow serving God. There, we need them. God knows we need them. We have too many discouragers. So how do you tell if you have this gift? Well, you have the tendency to, to come to those, come along the side of those who are discouraged. And you just like, you don't mind being around discouraged people. Not that you want to be discouraged, but you like seeing something that picks them up. You like reassuring people. You find it easy to talk to people and challenge them if they're struggling. You push them to just believe God a little longer. You help others understand biblical truth so that it helps them, not just so it's education, not just so it's information, but it's life-changing. You know, exhorters, I said, are like the lungs and the volume of a church. They're the energy in a church. They don't mind. They, when they sing, they sing louder than everybody else. They say amen a lot. They rejoice a lot. They're pumped up. You know, if I said, um, uh, you know, if I said, um, I don't know, off the cuff, I don't know. If I said something spectacular, like, okay, we're going to have free pizza today, every one of you would be full of adrenaline. <laughs> but if I said, okay, we're all this afternoon, we're all going to take a pack of tracks, we're going to give out 15 tracks for the, over the next hour, we're all going to go find 15 people and give tracks. About three of you would go, Amen! Let's go! The best uses, exhorters, if you have this gift, boy, we need you in soul winning. Because there are people who can take a gospel leaflet and can hand it to somebody and preach the gospel, but exhorters plead the gospel. You know, when, when, you, when you hand a gospel tract to somebody, when you try to give them the gospel, and, and it's just head-to-head, head, it doesn't do anything. But when an exhorter says, I don't want you to go to hell, I give you this because God loves you, and does, he, he died for you. There's a difference between telling and pleading, and an exhorter does it better. I go to church visitation, and I go to visit somebody, you know, an exhorter will sit down and will let the other person tell them all about their problems and say, I just love you. <laughs> and you have no answers for their problems, but you just encourage them anyway. That's where it works. It works in the prison ministry. It works in, in um, times when you just go to coffee with somebody and you just want to be a blessing to them. The gift of exhortation. There's some people in this room that have that gift. Every one of us need to exhort one another. It's nice to have people who recognize, I want to use this gift. Then there's the gift of giving. Go to Matthew 14. Matthew 14. In verse 15. Matthew 14 and verse 15. 
when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a desert place. The time is now past. Send the multitudes away, will you? That they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. Buy themselves their food. But Jesus said to them, look at what he says, next four words. They need not to depart. Oh, so they're just going to stay here fasting? No, he says, I want you to give ye them to eat. I want you to find out if you have the gift of giving, guys. He said to him, uh, we have but five loaves and two fishes. Jesus said, will you give it? If what you have, you don't mind giving away, how many people can God feed? 5,000 on the spot. Jesus says, guys, I want you to learn to give. I want you to learn what it feels like to just love to give. The gift of giving is the ability to give, that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to contribute their material resources. That's money, time, and talents to work of the Lord. And to do it with liberality and cheerfulness. You, you do it with a smile. It's a supernatural ability. Money is usually very hard to give away. But when you see a need in somebody else, you see a lot of people starving like the Peter did and James and John, and Jesus said, you feed them. <gasps> what? No way we could, but a person with the gift of giving says, let's see what we got. Let's see what we got. And many of you had moms and grandmothers who were like that. You'd have somebody come over, uncle show up for Christmas there, and she'd set another plate. That's the gift of giving. There, was, there wasn't enough food for everybody around the table, but they made it fit. I mean, there are many times where, I mean, Nita's not here. There are many times where I would invite somebody over. I'd tell Nita, and Nita, she'd say, we don't have enough chicken or we don't have enough potatoes. I says, well, bring out the bread. Let's just, let's just do it. Let's just give. And that is a gift, folks. Every Christian is supposed to be a giver. Go to Acts 20, 35. Acts 20, verse 35. Every one of us is supposed to be givers already. Paul speaking to the Christians at Ephesus. He says, I personally have showed you all things that's so laboring. You ought to work a job so that you can support the weak, not support the government. And to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to what? To give than to receive. 2 Corinthians 9 says, Every man according as he purposes in his heart, you make up your mind what you want to give, so let him give. Not grudgingly. All right, pastor, here if you have to. Not grudgingly or necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Every Christian ought to be a giver. But God gives some people the ability just to give and to give and to give. They give above the tithe. They don't mind giving to anything. They just keep giving. They have a drive that loves to just give away stuff, give away money. They have pockets. Oh, I already, yeah, they, um, they have pockets out of which they reach. Some of them are deep pocketed, some are shallow. They just, they just always are empty because they're constantly giving money away. No, um, anyway. How to tell if you have this gift? It's kind of simple. You just 
You're, you're, you're personally frugal. You don't spend all your money on yourself so that you have money for others. And some of you are gifted, but you don't, you, don't, you don't work on trying to make sure you have money so that you can give. If you constantly, let me tell you a, a, a real simple way to know you have the gift of giving. If you constantly regret, regret the fact you cannot give to the needs of others or the needs of a building project like we did for Christmas, if you constantly um, um, the word, uh, regret not having the ability to give, then you might have the gift of giving. What you're going to have to do is start not spending all your money so that you can give. Because somebody who has that gift becomes careful in their spending habits. And when they do give stuff away that they're full of faith, saying, I've met somebody else's need. I'm going to trust God to meet mine. That's a gift of giving. Oh, two more gifts, the gift of ruling. So he that ruleth, do it with diligence. Go to Acts 20, 28 now. Still in chapter 20 and verse 28. It's called management. I, people don't like these terms. God wrote them. Acts 20, 28 says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock. And he's speaking to the elders of the church at Ephesus. He says, Pay attention to yourself. Pay close attention to yourself. And to all the flock, watch over that flock, over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. You know what that is in a job? That's the managers, the foremen. The people who know the plan and make sure everybody's following the plan. They put the schedule up. They have the rosters. They know who's coming in, when they're coming in, what they're doing, and whether they're on track. Those are the rulers. He says, God put some of you as overseers. You're feeding the church of God. Now, he's talking to pastors, but he's speaking of overseeing, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Go back to, uh, go over to the right, go to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13 and verse 17. <clears throat> Hebrews 13, 17. Start in verse 7. Hebrews 13, 7 says, remember them, pray for them, think of them. Remember them, Hebrews 13, 7, which have the, what's the next words? Rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God. Hey, is that the Garda? Is that the government? Speaking in a church, he's speaking in a, in a, of, a, of a pastor or people who have that rule, whose faith you should follow, considering the end of their conversation. Look at verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. There are too many churches where the ministers and the leaders watch for your pockets. You better find a church where the men of God and the, the leaders in the church don't care about one thing about money, they care about souls. goes on there, Verse 17, obey them that rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give account one day that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. James 3 says this, Behold, also the ships which though they be great and are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm. What's a helm? That's that wheel. You know, you turn this way or turn that they are turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth, or whithersoever the governor wants. 
And so the wind blows this way, the waves blow this way, and the governor says, we're going that way. And that's the ruler, that's the manager. Popularity may change, freedoms may fade, trials may come, but there are people in a church who've set the course and they lead the church and they hold that helm firm and they says, we're going in the kingdom of God. We're not worrying about the kingdom of men. We're staying true to the Bible. We're staying the course for Jesus Christ. That's the governors in a church. And we need people who sense that gift and be trained in that gift and use that gift so a church doesn't go with the world. If you and I went into a lot of different churches in Ireland, you couldn't tell if you were going to a church or a nightclub. Amen. You couldn't tell listening to the man at the front or the woman these days, and they're holding up a book. You couldn't tell if it was a Bible because they're reading out of all the new translations. They don't even speak like the Word of God. There's a Bible there called The Message. I thought that was the worst. But no, there's another one called the Passion New Testament. The Passion New Testament. It's filled with some of the most sensual, I don't want to say all the words I want to say. <laughs> it is written so blasphemy, and they call it a New Testament. And they're trying to do the whole Bible. It's money, folks. If you went into some churches, you would know you were in a church. My wife and I, we went... And uh, we stopped in a, in a town, and we went into church on Sunday morning. It was called First Baptist Church. When we went in, we didn't know anything about the church. There were some wonderful people who met us, headed us, took a hand, welcomed us, gave us a, a, a little bulletin, telling us what was on the church, and then opened the doors to the auditorium. It was as black and dark as you could imagine a disco, the lights were blinking, the crowd was swinging, and my wife and I, I said, sweetheart, let's go. <laughs> and the old man who was opening the door, greeting us, I know why he wasn't in there. He said, where are you going? I said, where God is. I'm ashamed. But let me tell you, that church ended up that way because there was nobody man enough who said, we're not going that way. Amen. So next time you think, well, there's details, all the spreadsheets, all the plans, what does that do? It keeps us on course. And we need people who are multi-talented, who can manage, who can lead. They don't mind doing all the background work, dotting the I's and crossing the T's. They make sure the bills are paid. They make sure we go by the rules. You know, there are rules. We can't just do it our own way. There are things that the, that, that the world has figured out need to be done like child protection. Churches have never been strong in protecting children, have they? So there's some of us that go with the details and don't mind following that program and making sure those kids are as protected, more protected than anybody else. And we, we make sure of that. They are the... Uh, uh, they're the heads, the brains of a church. We're talking about in a body. They plan, they schedule, they don't mind all those details, all the boring hard stuff that has to be done in the background because they want to accomplish a mission. You know, in any army, you have what are called strategists. You have people who plan out um, uh, all of, the, all of the terrain is learned, all of the positions of the enemy, what are the, what are the firepower, what they need. And so when that soldier goes out on the battlefield, 
they have a lot of planning into it so they don't die. A person with this gift is usually thorough in their activities. If you're one of those that are OCD, you know what I mean by OCD? Joel, who never liked to pick up anything, well, when my son Joel started building stuff with his Legos, he would build something, and that was it. He would put it up on his shelf. So if mom came in there and started dusting things and would shove it over about four inches or whatever, Joel would come in and go, and put it back. <laughs> Everything in this place. That's a good thing. That has a sign of he likes detail, and he does. He can see things that need to be done, and he does them. They're objective-oriented. They're not emotionally, oh, I'm attached to this. No, no, no. They see, we've got a goal. We've got to reach it. Let's do it. Let's keep going. Come on, exhorters, work with me. That's what he says. How do you know if you've got that gift? You love, to, you love making things work more efficient. You love saving money. You love getting people together on a task and seeing it done. You don't mind order, because, I mean, you don't mind chaos because you come in and you say, let's take chaos and make it into order. You know, it's sad that a lot of people who have this gift only use it at work and they don't know how to use it in church because there are many people who have that gift and they just leave it to Pastor and John to do it. I thank God for people who have this gift because they end up being treasurers and deacons and church secretaries and volunteers in the church office. They end up being uh, church elders. And they make things work, amen? The last gift is the gift of mercy. Go to um, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 33. Jesus is telling a parable, but it illustrates mercy here. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came where a man who had been beat up and was left half dead, where he was, and when he saw him, he had what? Are you with me? 10.33, Luke 10.33, he had compassion on him. Circle that. And he went to him. That means he got off his horse or his donkey, whatever it was, and he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, not in his mouth, but in his wounds. The wine was, was alcoholic, yes, because he used it as an antiseptic. The oil was to soften the skin. He's been out in the, the heat of the desert sun for hours, and his, sin is, his, his skin is cracking Infection setting in, and he's helping him medicinally. He set him on his own beast, on his own donkey, and he brought him to an inn, and he, look at the words, he took continually took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence, which was two days' wages, and he gave them to the host, to the owner of the inn, and he said unto him, Take care, you take care of him now, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Now which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, he that showed what? There's your key word. He that was merciful, that showed mercy on him. And Jesus said unto him, go and do thou likewise. Go to Luke chapter 6. 
Luke 6, in verse 36. Be therefore, what's the word? We ought to be merciful because of well, whose mercy? Our Father in heaven, as your Father is also merciful to you. These people are people who comfort and they show mercy to other Christians who are hurt and confused and they need peace brought back into their broken life. You know, you may know just how rotten somebody is. You could probably think of somebody right now. They're backslid, they're angry at God, they're angry at you, they're angry at life. And you overlook all that. And you, if, if you saw them, you'd say, let's go for coffee. And, and when, when the Lord brings them to your mind, you pray for them. You just want to have compassion on them. They overlook personal offenses. The Bible words are comforter, counselor, helper, builder. Pitiful, not pity like we don't be pitiful towards me, but showing mercy and pity. They're focused on the emotional needs of others. Now, a giver is focused on the physical needs. Finds out that, that you're going through a hard time and they just give you 50 euros and don't even think about it. Or they put an envelope and they just put your name on it and somebody opens up the offer box and says, oh, this is for Patrick. Oh, Patrick, somebody gave this to you. Boom, just met a physical need. That's a giver. But somebody who shows a gift of mercy comes along, Patrick, says, Patrick, I'm praying for you. I really, I don't know why. The Lord's laid you on my heart. I just want you to know I love you. Whatever you may be going through, I know that if you ever need anything, I'd love to help. That's a merciful person. You say, well, you, you know what Patrick said about you last week. Couldn't care less. They want to show mercy. A merciful person learns to be totally blind to the faults of the person they're working with. They're able to overlook a whole lot of sin. You know, how do you know that you have the gift of mercy? When people are happy, you're happy. When people are sad, you're crying. That is empathy, and we need that. We are so stoic. So-and-so is happy. Oh, that's okay. So-and-so got a new car. Yeah, well, I hope it breaks down. No, we are so hardened. And a merciful person, the Bible says, they, they, they rejoice with others who are when they're rejoicing, and they weep with those who weep. And if you find yourself empathetic, when I go to the hospital, it is very hard on me emotionally. I'm not like this. You, you probably would never believe this. But I kind of, if things go along, I don't have the gift of mercy. And some of you go, yeah, I know that. It's not my gift. But when I go to the hospital and I see somebody there, I was in the hospital recently, and somebody in the bed next to the person I was visiting, they had been in a bar fight. And their arm was slit like this, and so the, the skin was all, and they had, they had just been brought in, and they had poured in some stuff. The guy was on morphine because they had to pour in some stuff to clean it all before they sewed it up. You see that, and all of a sudden, I felt, hmm. That's sympathy. That's empathy. And the gift of mercy is where you just feel that about everybody. And that's a good thing because a church needs to have people who just care, who just has heart. The prophet, the, the person who sees the vision of God and the, the will of God and preaches the word of God has very little mercy. 
So God balances, gives somebody else who has mercy. Now they're not at each other, they're not against each other, they work together like two hands on the body. They work for the main goal. And thank God for those who have mercy, because those of us who don't have that much, we balance each other out, don't we? To the heart of a church. As I said, I gave you some ideas on how to know if you've got it. But you just, you just want to take burdens off of people. You, just, you may not have any money, but you'll go get a giver to give, give money <laughs> to make sure their needs are met. That's a merciful person. How do you know if you've got the gift of mercy? You don't just have friends. You have deep friends. You have friend relationships that I don't care how wicked they may become. I don't care how sinful they are. You, you side with them anyway to a fault because that's mercy. You find it hard to be firm in your decisions. <laughs> You can never commit because you know something may come up. And it's just, you're always fluid, which is the gift of mercy. You're not fixed like the prophecy, prophet is. You're like, hmm, I don't know, pastor, so-and-so not ready to go yet. <laughs> that works. And person with the gifts of mercy make great deacons and counselors. And... Wouldn't you like to have that in the nursery, in the creche? Imagine if those of us with the gift of prophecy were in the creche. Quiet, in the name of Jesus Christ, go to sleep. <laughs> you don't put people with the gift of prophecy in crash, amen? You need people with the gift of mercy in crash. People with the gift of mercy end up working for penny dinners, or work for Samaritans, they work on all those things. Let me tell you, that's all fine, but let me tell you, you need to work here too. We've looked at some summary gifts. If your gift is the gift of prophecy, you'll proclaim God's view of right and wrong. You will have a vision from God to reach this generation with the gospel. If your gift is ministry and service, you just want to do whatever is needed so that everyone, so this church just keeps going and growing. If it's teaching, you'll spend your life learning how to help other people know God's truth. So not just free from sin, but as Jesus said, you're actually free indeed. If your gift is exhorting, you'll enjoy encouraging others. And you refuse to criticize. You don't, you don't waste time finding faults and reasons for people to quit. You just want to keep people going. If it, is, if it is giving, you'll find yourself always reaching into your pockets or your purse to give someone something just because you love Jesus and you love them. You did that with your kids. I got grandkids. I mean, I give, them, I give them everything. My kids, I was stingy with. My grandkids, I'll give them everything. <laughs> but if you have the gift of giving, that's how you are. You just love showing love. If your gift is managing and ruling, you'll love to plan and to manage the, 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 the goals and the projects so that they, they're great in the kingdom of God. And if your gift is showing mercy, You'll just delight in weeping with those that weep. It gives you great joy to feel what others feel. And you'll just care about people where they hurt. The point is, whatever your gift is, use it. Listen to 1 Peter 4. Every man as he has received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. This church needs helpers needs fellow servants, people who say, I can help, Pastor. You know why? Because I need help. Dan and Kathy are gone. 
How many recognize that? Andrew and Jennifer are gone. So what I relied on has changed. I've just got John, amen, but I got Eric. I need help. What is hindering you from serving God? What could possibly be more important than becoming more like Jesus? Because Jesus was a servant most of all. Yes, he saved the world, but he did it by humbling himself and coming at the very bottom and giving his life as a servant. Now here's the sad truth. Not everybody's serving Jesus Christ. I mean Christians. We can finish this with Romans chapter 16. Romans 16. Romans 16, verse 17. And this, we've been blessed. We've been blessed. But there's no guarantee tomorrow somebody's not going to get offended and cause a division amongst us. Let me tell you. Look at your Bible, Romans 16, 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, speaking to Christians, mark them, identify them, set them on a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in your mind as somebody very dangerous. Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned already. What should we do? Avoid them. Ignore them. Why? For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words, oh, they can, boy, they can point out all the faults. How many of you remember a guy named Absalom in the Bible? Absalom was the son of David. And Absalom got bitter at his father David. You know all the background, there's too much background to go through. Absalom got so angry at his father, he wanted to destroy his father. How did he do that? He would sit at the gate as people came to Jerusalem, and he would say these words, Oh, that there was someone in Israel, someone who would care about this man's problem. <laughs> Sounds like a politician to me. And so the man would say, oh, Well, why do you say that? Oh, well, I'm sure my father is very busy, but I'm not too busy for you. What can I do? I care about you. I want to help you. And Absalom turned the hearts of the men of Israel away from following and seeking David's help to seeking Absalom. What was he doing? He was turning everybody against David so he could say, now make me king. And they made him king. And he says, now let's go get my dad. And they went after David and David had to flee for his life. Let me tell you, those kind of people in a church that have bitterness in their heart and live in critical, with a critical spirit, and they just are toxic, they just turn people sour. Let me tell you, they are destructive, and they don't serve Christ. Who do they serve? Their own interests, their own belly. And they have good words. Oh, they can say anything they want against you, and fair speeches, but they deceive the hearts of the simple. That's a shame. Church should be full of exactly the opposite. Make sure you're not like that. Because I'm telling you, even in this church, but outside these walls, not everyone has received the foundational gift of eternal life. Jesus is too easy to ignore, too easy to brush off, but judgment is still coming. Would you stand with me and bow in prayer? This is that time where you make a decision, and I need you to think about
What in the world did God put in you the moment you got saved with every head bowed, every eye closed? Think for a minute. Now, I've got a little form on the back there. It's a questionnaire. It's got some of these, these things. It might help you identify your gift. I don't know. It's subjective. I wrote it. I, I uh, think it'll help some people. But you need to just ask God, God, why did you save me? I wish I was in heaven, but you left me here. You left me here to do something. What am I supposed to do? And whatever it is, Lord, I'll do it as long as you help me. So show me my gift. You might have more than one, but you need to say, Lord, show me why, why you saved me. Because it's always for others. <laughs> Father, please bless the people in this room this morning who have heard one of the greatest lists of, of, of gifts. And we don't have to wait for Christmas. We already got them the day we got saved. These gifts are the ones that ought to be passionately, fervently used in our church. Yes, they need to be in our homes. Wow, what a household it would be if everybody was giving, if everybody was exhorting, if everybody, if everybody just had all of these gifts at once working together. But it's supposed to spill out into the church, and then from here it will spill out into the world, and our culture and our world will change from the bottom up. So let's have that vision today. Let us want to be like Jesus. And I pray somebody in this room, I don't know how to pray it. I ask it every time. Somebody would just believe you. Somebody would get tired of being who they are and want to be like Jesus. Want to be saved. Flee from the wrath to come. Try, cry out to Jesus Christ right now. Ask Him to save them. Somebody would do that. This would be Christmas for them. The rest of us would realize it's worth it. Church is worth it because people are still getting saved. People are still growing and the world can be reached, even by a small little church just being faithful. So bless our thoughts that we've learned today in Jesus' name. Amen.